You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we cover two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. We are brought to you by the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network, and this week, I, Patrick, am joined by a special guest, Josh, from GSC, as we discuss Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, and Death Wish from 1974. Josh, good to have you. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be back. Absolutely, yeah. We didn't have you on for Halloween 3. I know you're not a fan of that movie, but hey, we've got you here for three of the first four Halloween movies, right? It it, it could be worse. I mean, Halloween 3 is not really a Halloween movie. I mean, it is, but it's not. Exactly. It's, it's It's its own thing. I think it's a fine movie in its own right, but yeah, it's definitely the black sheep of the series. That's a good way to put it. So, uh, Josh, without much further ado, would you like to get us started with Halloween 4? Yeah, man, and it had been a few years, I want to say, since I've seen this flick. I used to love it as a child. Do I still love it? I'm unsure. I like it a lot. Uh <laughs> I appreciate... It loses some points at the end. I I appreciate that when I pulled it up, it was only 90 minutes. I was like, I can get in and I can get out real quick, which I was all about. Ten years ago, on the night of October 31st, a small Midwestern town fell victim to an escaped killer. Under the cover of darkness, he carried out the most horrifying mass murder on record. Sixteen people in cold blood. Ever since that night, no one has forgotten his name. And Halloween has never been the same. Obviously, we're starting off on October 30th, because we always start off on October 30th in these movies, except for the very first one, which starts off on Halloween night itself. But that's beside the point. October Does 30th, it? yeah. Yeah, I mean, the first well, one... Well, he escapes from the thing in the, the mental hospital. I assume that's the night before also. No, no, no. I, the first, really... the, I mean, the if... first one starts with him killing his sister. Oh, that's... No, you're right. Okay, I was just thinking when we when we are in the present. You're, you're, you're right. You're, get, yeah, you're, you're, you're getting ahead of yourself, but I understand the eagerness. Yeah. We're having a quick montage shot. It's a beautiful day, just a beautiful fall day, and then all of a sudden there's a switch, and it's fucking pouring rain. And we're outside the sanatorium. It looks like a giant mansion. I just, I just want to say, I, I love the opening credits of this. It's a good this one. movie. It's so fall. It's so autumnal. It's perfect. It's, it's also so midwestern. Like it almost feels like you know, you, you watch the first Halloween, the, the first two Halloweens, and you know, you can joke about there's palm trees in there and, or whatever. It's like no, this movie feels like it's in the Midwest, at least with this scene, anyways. And then it's also just, I admire the, you know, as much as I love the Halloween theme, I really respect that they didn't use it in the opening scenes. They, they tried to do something a little bit different. And I think, you know, this is 10 years since the original Halloween. This is, what, seven years since Halloween 2. So it's been seven years since we've seen Michael Myers, seven years since we've heard that theme song. I like that we have to wait for it a bit, you know? Yeah, the buildup is very, very nice. But, you know... they botched some things right off the jump that you know i thought could have been better when they did you know we got these people coming to pick up michael and like the i guess the security guards are there letting them in and you know one of the i guess doctors or some medical person one of the transporters gets scared while walking through the 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 loony house and the, the jail guy's like 
Jesus ain't got nothing to do with this yeah. place with the straight face. It would have been a good line to, <laughs> if he would have laughed after and like kind of lightened the mood. That would have been a good line delivery. It was just far too. Oh serious. sure, yeah, no, it's it's treated it's treated one hundred percent serious. Yeah, I appreciate the mental health uh, commentary though about you know society's rejects <laughs> and all that shit because that's really where we do be sending people like that. Honestly, well, I mean, yes, but I also don't really think this is commentary. I think this is just this movie exists in a universe where people are just crazy and kill people, you know? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think it's... I don't really view it as commentary, I guess. Everything is commentary. You know what I mean? It's like a... It's like the critic is the artist, and the artist is the critic. Well, sure, nothing has meaning without the interpreter, yes. But I'm just I'm just saying, like... I think you're giving the movie a little bit too much credit in this instance is what I mean. I think the movie gave Michael not enough credit when they only sent two people to really like well, transport yeah. this motherfucker. Well, and also, I you know, this is the first time they've tried transporting him the night before Halloween. But multiple times in this franchise does this happen and each time it doesn't work. How about we just wait until November to move this guy, right? Just 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 give it another week. I mean, if Loomis was there, they wouldn't let him move, but, you know, he's trying to, he's being forced out, you know, he's being pushed aside and disrespected despite him being a legend. It's fucked up. Despite him blowing up in a hospital and and having no way of surviving, but somehow he just comes back with a slightly burned face and a limp. I love it. <laughs> I love it. They just, like, brush past, like, yeah, no, he didn't blow up. You're, you're imagining that, like... <laughs> He's like show. He shows the facial scar and is like, "I don't want this to happen to anyone else." Type vibes. So you know, obviously they wheel out Michael. Michael kind of has a weird interaction with the guy that's like his doctor. It's like it, you could tell the vibes are off. And if you know anything about the series, I guess it kind of gets revealed later on. But the the trinkets are all there in the beginning. Obviously, Michael fucking breaks out. We get a nice face like thumb in the head fucking kill oh great stuff great stuff dude and then we quickly flash to young jamie lloyd and her babysitter rachel and we get the 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 theme of sisterhood jamie's all upset like yeah you say babysitter this is like an adoptive sister yeah but i mean but she is she does babysitter yes jamie is very self-conscious about where she stands with rachel She's asking her questions about yes. being her real sister. Will she always like love her and protect her? Next thing you know, Rachel's basically being like, you know, I'm not your real sister, but I do love you. Yeah, <laughs> Rachel doesn't play that. She's not here. Best. She's not she here emotionally supporting anyone. Fuck she all doesn't. That she shit. doesn't word things, you know, as carefully as she probably should in this scenario. And then she sends off this kid to bed who's been up for four days. Like she's. Go fucked up, and you wonder why. It's because Halloween's coming. Next thing you know, Michael's in the fucking bedroom. We see him flash with the the lightning flash in the mirror really quickly. Then the closet's mm-hmm. creepily opening, and you know eventually he pops out from underneath the bed, and his like fucking twisted, slow, like rise up slowly in the creepy head turn, and she tries to run out the door, and then holy shit, he's right there fucking too. And then Rachel's running down the fucking hallway. She's screaming. And then Jamie wakes up. And it turns out she's in the closet looking at pictures of her mom. Her sexy ass mom. 
Jamie Lee Curtis, rest in peace. Her dead mom. Her dead mom died in an accident. Yeah, I, I, I want to I wanna say something here. So, um, Danielle Harris is Jamie. Yes. She's awesome. As, as a child actress, she is fantastic in this movie. But you'd be hard-pressed to cast a white girl that looks less like Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, she looks nothing like Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, I, I, the first time I watched the Halloween movies, I'm sure it was on AMC. And I know they used to show the fourth and fifth ones all the time. It's possible I saw those even before the first. But I definitely, you know, because I knew Jamie Lee Curtis was in Halloween. I, I never got the impression that, that this little girl was related to Jamie Lee Curtis in any way. She looks like black hair, just doesn't look anything like her. It's just, I don't know, it's... It's not even really a complaint because, you know, I look nothing like my mom. You know, if you look like, maybe she looks like the dad. Yeah, she probably dad, she so. probably has an Italian dad. She looked very Italian. <laughs> I would say she looks, she reminds me kind of of the little girl in Godzilla vs. Kong. The little girl who's like native to Skull Island or whatever that talks to King Kong with the um, sign language. She kind of reminds me of her. Talking about the new Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah, yeah. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Jamie wakes up from this nightmare. Stepmom or adopted mom or foster, I don't even know, like foster mom, like, and parents are there comforting her. You know, you could tell that this is something that happens a lot. She's got nightmares. She's, you know, a tormented, traumatized child. And the next morning... They're all sitting, Rachel's sitting there at breakfast and, you know, mom is like, you know, me and dad's anniversary thing is popping off and we got to spend time together because we're an old married couple and, you know, the babysitter canceled, so you got to do it. And Rachel's like, no, I'm trying to hang with my mans. He might ask me to be official. Like, this is a big moment in my life. And Jamie's over yeah, there. Yeah, Brady is the Brady, boyfriend. Brady, Hawkeye Brady. It, it sucks that his name's Brady because I hate Tom Brady so much, but. Think of Brady Quinn then. No, no one could hate Brady Quinn. He played like three games in the NFL, right? He really did play like three games in the NFL. <laughs> and rest in peace to his uh, football career. But uh, Jamie overhears Rachel talking shit, basically just saying she doesn't want to like watch out for this kid because you know her life's more important because she's a teenager and like what the fuck else did this adult think that their teenage daughter would say about having plans on Halloween to fucking trick or treat? Mm-hmm the adopted kid that screams in the middle of the night or hanging out with the hot guy i don't know like i'm pretty sure the teen's always gonna choose the fucking hot guy but you know the guilt trip she feels bad she agrees to do it i do find it weird that you know they're encouraging of michael myers's fucking niece to be trick-or-treating like knowing yeah her family background you would think like you know let's get her out of town for this time you know let's go on vacation to the beach or some shit during this time yeah yeah it's it's like the family in uh jaws the revenge like why why are you moving to some place with an ocean just move to nebraska or something you know and just avoid sharks altogether but no i'm not sure what jamie knows about her family history obviously she knows her mother's dead but her mother wasn't killed by Michael. Does she even know about Michael? She sees visions of him. She sees visions of him, and then at school yeah. the kids are like, your uncle's the boogeyman, boogeyman, boogeyman. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. They, they they do that thing. Okay, so you're right. But I was just thinking, like, they, they don't, like, talk about Michael Myers when she sees 
when she freaks out and she like sees him, whether it's visions or when she sees him in the drugstore, I think she just says it's the scary man. She's not, she's not like, oh, it's that guy that chased after my mother. I really wonder. Ten I, years I, ago I, or something, I, you know. I had the same thought. Like, how the fuck would she know what he looked like? Like, did yeah, they show and, this and, little kid, like, pictures of the fucking mass murderer in his mask? Yeah, she, that's the thing. It's, it's, there's really no reason or explanation for it. She, it's just, we know what Michael Myers looks like, so, like, we're going to see him in the visions, I guess. You know, it's fine. It's, 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 it's a, you know, slap together sequel. It's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I just wanted to talk about that. So then, you know, Loomis pulls up finally all thugged out, pissed off that the fucking doctor of the sanatorium transferred him out. You know, the doctor gets the call. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. There was an accident last night. And Loomis rushes out and we're down by the river looking at the ambulance all crashed and shit. And they're saying, you know, it was an accident. And then you look inside the fucking ambulance and there's blood splattered everywhere. And now I've seen car accidents. But I ain't never seen blood splattered everywhere in a car accident. Like, it was ripped open from someone. Also, there is a thumbprint on this guy's forehead. <laughs> Can we talk about that? Shit made no sense. Like, the most inept cops of all time. Boggled the mind. You know, Loomis is getting gaslit to his fucking face. I understood his frustration. You know, but now he's on... He's he, he's searching. He says, like, if you don't find this guy in, like, four hours or some shit, I'll probably find him first. Now we're at a mechanic spot, and of course, Michael kills the mechanic. <laughs> yeah, and his like bandaged fucking head wrap thing, and yeah, the Invisible Man look. It's a really good look. And then Loomis shows up there. Obviously, and we get a cool little POV shot of Michael watching Loomis like out of the garage while he's like filling up his gas. And then Loomis goes into the uh, I guess the cafe part of the mechanic spot. You know, he finds the dead lady cafe worker. <laughs> then he sees Michael. Like, he tries to make a phone call, and he lines cut, I believe. And he sees Michael, and he's asking him, why yeah. now? You waited 10 years. You want another victim? Take me. So Loomis is already on his weird shit. Like, murder me instead of murdering other people. As if he couldn't just kill Loomis and then keep going and kill more people. I don't know why he thought that Michael's searching for simply one victim. Well, I, th- I think, you know... The Michael Myers saga is such a big part of Loomis's life. He's making it about him, you know? He has main character syndrome. Yeah. For sure. He, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah. And, and you know, God bless him, Donald Pleasance. We're getting him back in another movie. You know, let him do or say whatever stupid shit he wants to. Like, in Halloween 5, he's completely off the rails. I love it. Also, I gotta ask. So, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. Either on Shudder or on AMC around Halloween, whenever. I have no idea what happens in this scene when he he unloads his gun and then Michael's just not there. And I and I always think that there's supposed to be like a shot where they reveal that he was looking at a mirror or something, but they never show that shot. What what happens here? He just disappears. I think that's the beginning of introducing Michael as just like this fucking phantom thing that is supernatural guess, yeah. and like he's like ghost man type shit now. But but it's the but type I also of, it's, thought it's it was the, a mirror thing for a while, but yeah. it's definitely like not. There's no mirror. It's the type of misdirection that they do in a lot of movies, and there's like a cinematic language here, right? I think of you know Jurassic Park. There's a scene where the raptors are in the kitchen, and they see and you see the girl struggling to fit into the cabinet, and the raptor goes charging at the cabinet. 
Beautiful shot. Just runs into the cabinet and it's and it's then we see a cut and we see that he was looking at the reflection. Yeah. Or rather she was because the raptors are all female. But um and then in Halloween twenty eighteen, there's the scene where she looks up at sees Michael Myers in a window, fires, and then realizes that she was actually looking at the mirror so he was in the same room but just like in a in a corner or something so it's like but each time each time i've seen that kind of thing happen there's always been another shot or the shot has just lasted long enough for you to realize that there's a reason that the person wasn't shot or attacked or whatever and here we just don't really get that he just disappears i don't know it's just it was (laughs) i mean it was strange i mean that happened the next thing you know michael is pulling out of the garage yeah he's making the garage explode and loomis's car is exploding it's like a fucking michael bay movie it's the most absurd shit the 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 telephone lines are like all on fire <laughs> yeah. and everything man the shit was crazy the- <laughs> this, this scene is is it it feels like it feels out of place in a halloween movie i kind of like it it's off the I fucking like wall the- I like the old man stuntman, you know, jumping over the garbage cans to get away from the explosions and stuff like that. But I also like later on when Michael, I I think when he's talking to the sheriff and the sheriff doesn't, you know, initially doesn't believe, you know, Michael is loose because that's how it always works. But he's he's talking about like, I've seen however many dead bodies I've seen a a service station up in flames. And it's like, wasn't that partially his fault? Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) It's like, are we really blaming Michael for that when he blew up the gas station just as much as Michael did? (laughs) Now, Michael Myers has come home. He has returned for one more night of unholy terror. So now we know Michael's on the loose and he's got a car, which means he's getting a fucking head and field and like, you know, literally a couple. Sh- are are you sure he could be heading up to Canada looking for freedom? Never know. He probably should have. It's probably healthier. <laughs> well, back then you didn't even need a passport to enter the country. I'm just sure you probably had to have ID at some point. But like, yeah, he probably could have gotten into Canada easily. Just freedom for the rest of his life. He can kill just as many people as he usually does, but has fewer guns being fired at him up in Canada. You know, food food for thought. And then uh, we got Jamie at school. This is when she's getting bullied for being, you know, the boogeyman. She's one of the only kids not in a costume. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just remember how, like, fucking dickbags kids are. It's honestly yeah. awful, dude. I get it, like, this happens in movies. Are kids actually that brutal that they would make fun of I've, someone for their mom being dead? I really don't, I don't fucking think that. so, man. Like, uh, Yeah, I don't think so. But, I mean, well, certainly, like, there might be one guy, but here it's, like, an entire group of kids making fun of her, and it's like, yeah, it's a little extreme, but it's 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 good. I like it. But s- It's very reminiscent of, there's nothing about anyone's mother, in, but in the original Halloween, Tommy Doyle, gets teased you know the boogeyman's gonna get you or whatever they push him around and they kind of tease. it's the same kind of thing every halloween movie is just recreating moments from the original halloween basically so basically that's a good way to read it i mean something about this bullying fucks with jamie because when rachel picks her up the next thing you know is she wants a costume now now she wants to go trick-or-treating now she wants to fit in maybe if she trick-or-treats the kids will stop saying your uncle's the boogeyman all type shit to her but 
I mean, we see when she eventually trick-or-treats, she just stays with her sister. She's not with any of her friends, so it's like they wouldn't have even seen her out in a costume. I don't even think she fucking, like, really has friends. But that's this is when we get introduced finally to, to, to Brady. Brady is now Rachel's friend, convinces her to go to the store Brady works in. Because he works in a Halloween, I guess, sto- store that sells it's a, it's Halloween It's a drugstore, but they've got costumes. They've got some costumes, and we've got a classic line, a guy hates a girl who comes on too strong, and, you know, she said that, and me and my roommate turned to each other, and I was like, I feel like it just depends on the girl. Like, the girl, yeah, the girl, the girl's hot enough, the guy doesn't give a fuck. And then we end up in the store, and, you know, Rachel leaves... Jamie alone to, you know, talk to Brady and let him down about the date and say, I can't chill tonight. And we see Jamie go into the Halloween costume. And I'm like, why is there, why are they still selling Meyer masks? This mass murderer from this town. Why the fuck are you still selling these goddamn masks? Well, to be technical, it is a slightly different mask. It's smoother, it's cleaner. But no, I I know what you mean. It's, uh, this is... Not the worst-looking Michael Myers mask, but it's definitely not the best. The original just looks so awesome. This just looks a little bit worse than that. I don't know how to describe it, really. Just look it up. and But don't look up the poster, because they used the correct mask from the original film on the poster, I believe, because I feel like deep down someone knew the original looked better. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're very, very right. So our homegirl Jamie picks out a costume, and what does she pick? She picks the motherfucking clown costume. Yeah, the original Michael Myers costume. That he wore when he murdered his sister back... In the scene that I completely forgot about earlier when we were talking about back it. Back in the 60s. And then she's, like, looking in the mirror, and she, like, sees herself as Michael. And all of a sudden, she sees the real Michael, and she starts screaming, and she, like, knocks down a mirror or some shit. And all the teens that work in the store, Brady, Rachel... Wade, who's Brady's friend, they all run up yeah, like, "What's friends, good?" Yeah. For some reason, there's no real adults in yeah. the store. I don't know why. Uh, you would think the that poor store management, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Awful shit. And we're clued into something that Brady's up to, even in this one scene. But we could talk about that later because it comes up later. Now we're back right. with Loomis, and uh, he's got some dickheaded teens fucking with him. He's trying to like, you know hitchhike back to to Haddonfield and some teens stop and they're like come on old man get in the car and as soon as he walks up all huffing and puffing they motherfucking drive away and leave his ass there but not for long because some old man named Reverend Sayer who's crazy as fuck pulls up and he's like I'm hunting the apocalypse you know you can't kill damnation he's played by the bum from Pee Wee's Great Adventure just a classic like weird looking old guy he is a weird looking old guy (laughs) He's he's a very memorable character though. This scene, he's got lines. It's weird to me when when I th- when I think of this movie, you know, when I think of what I like about this movie, I should say some of the first things that come up, you know, that that come up in my mind are like this scene and the opening credits. You know, the the very the autumn farms and stuff. The the lack of Halloween John Carpenter music and it's like this scene and th- these scenes. I feel like. Part of the reason they stick out is that they're so unlike anything else in the series that I can think of it. Like this scene here where it's just, you know, Loomis, who in all of his movies, you know, you can never get him to shut up. He's always talking. He's always monologuing. Here he almost doesn't say anything. And it's just 
this weirdo reverend going on and on about how he's fighting against evil and stuff like that and it's it's a really weird scene but i but i like it, it there's like a little bit of a i don't know the, the you you kind of see in this reverend you really see loomis because i think this is how loomis sees himself he's fighting against evil and stuff like that so but it's 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 good because he loomis kind of like sees how crazy this guy is and it's like that's kind of how everyone else views loomis it's just kind of interesting i don't know they didn't need to put it in the movie but i like it it's very very meta and i did appreciate it you're hunting it ain't you yeah you're hunting it all right just like me what are you hunting mr say Apocalypse, end of the world, Armageddon. It's always got a face and a name. And now we're back with Michael, who for some reason has taken a liking to Jamie, and he breaks into her house, and I'm thinking to myself, how the fuck does he know that this little girl is somehow related to him? And as I'm thinking that, they show Michael going through Jamie's shit to reveal. Yeah. <laughs> but still, what a stretch that was. There's just no reason for that. Uh, yeah. But it is what it is. And we got we got a nice shot of uh, of Rachel calling Brady's house and asking for Brady, and he's still not back from work yet. And I wonder why. Where could Brady be? And that's when Loomis finally shows up, looking for Sheriff Brackett, who is retired to Florida. And we get instead Sheriff Ben Meeker, who has I wouldn't say I, don't know, I was gonna say great cop vibes, but. I don't know. He's got. He's overall. He looks like a cop. He sounds like a cop. He walks and talks like a cop. They pick. He's he's no Charles Cyphers though. He kind of missed Charles Cyphers in this movie. But but at the same time, good for him not being stuck in this series for as long as uh, as long as Donald Pleasance is. I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you got to stretch your wings and not be typecast as the crazy man. But then you know, Meeker tries to make a call. Phone line's dead. You know, the hunt begins, dude. The hunt has begun. Uh, They got to go and look and find out what's going on. And while this is happening, Jamie is being, you know, taken around with Rachel, trick-or-treating. And they end up going to the co-worker of Brady's house who answers the door in a t-shirt and underwear. And we see Brady in the background and Rachel has put together what the fuck is going on. But, you know, we cannot just overlook this. We can't just say it's a t-shirt. No, it is the t-shirt. What does the t-shirt say? Cops do it by the book. Which, you know, we know she's the daughter of the sheriff. She is. She would not have this shirt. If it wasn't for her dad. (laughs) Is it her dad's shirt? Because... It might be a gift. (laughs) Because if it is, that's not something you accept from your dad. Like, if you're getting an old shirt of his, I'm not going to wear one that has, like, a sexual joke on it, you know, because you're my dad. No, I think she just happens to have this shirt. And it looks like it was, you know, it's, it's. I mean, I'm sure it was made for the movie, but it, it does not look like a shirt that would be sold in the store. It looks, like, kind of poorly put together, like it was, like, homemade almost. But I just, I get a kick out of that t-shirt. And she's in the t-shirt for, like, the rest of the movie, too. She is in the t-shirt for the rest of the movie. But, uh, Except when she's not in anything, of course. Of course, of course. But obviously, you know, Brady's caught red-handed. He tries to talk to Rachel. She's basically saying, fuck off. But because of that, Rachel and her little, you know, getting cheated on by her not-official boyfriend, Jamie has been lost. She's walked off with some 
kids who said you had a cool clown costume. Yeah, that's right. I guess she did run into some kids her age at some point. Not her friends, because she didn't say any fucking names or stay with them for very long. She gets... (laughs) Sep- yeah, she. Yeah, next time we see her, she's by herself. Next time you see her, she's by herself, and uh, no one's answering at the police station. The bar, the bar, the people in the bar are chilling. They get a little news thing that says uh, the sheriff says go home. <laughs> There's a curfew. They're like, no we way. We get a very prominent uh, Spuds McKenzie Bud Light like light up lamp thing, which which is just like all over the frame, and I love it. I love seeing seeing like how prominently placed in the scene that is and just like because it's like a little you know the spuds mckenzie's before our time but i, I like that <laughs> you just see this detail this very very topical detail from 1988 that's just on film for decades to follow peace spuds mckenzie what party loving happening dude go, spuds, go, spuds, go. bye spuds Yeah, and they're like the the people in the bar try to call the cops to find out why Meeker's doing that. The dude has a great line. It just rings. No one answers. Yeah, no phone just rings at a police station. <laughs> they have like a, no way, no just how. The whitest group of people. So they, you know, you know, these dudes form a posse. It's like four or five trucks, a bunch of dudes. They're ready to go, dude. They're ready to just go and fucking handle they've got, business. They've got a death wish. They've got a death wish. He's here to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way. So while this is all happening, Michael is going to, I guess, like the telephone lines of Haddonfield or electricity lines of Haddonfield. Yeah. And he fucking murders the poor fucking worker there that's just a moron. You got some creepy guy walking up to you, mad, yeah. slow and shit. And you're just going to like, you I'm know, calling the police. And then he like move. turns around, turns around. and just has, keeps his back to the guy. Next thing you know, this dude's flinging you fucking like you're a javelin through the air fucking far and wide and you get shocked to death and then the whole town loses power and then that's when we see jamie's wandering alone and loomis pulls up and he's looking around and you know he gets to her just in time and then meeker's there and they think they see michael but then they see and rachel's there too yes and they see another michael and they see another (laughs) michael and it turns out it's just more dickhead teens playing fucking games dude this scene so this is a very very slight I don't even want to say callback, but it has its resemblances to the infamous Ben Tramer scene from Halloween 2, right? Because it it brings up the idea of like, oh, not everyone wearing a Michael Myers mask is Michael Myers, especially at this point when we've established that the Michael Myers mask was being sold in that drugstore that Brady worked at. But in this case, it's just, I, I understand someone wearing this mask to just, you know, prank a friend or someone they know but you've got a cop pointing a gun at you a cop and a and a psychiatrist and a crazy psychiatrist pointing guns at these guys and they they stand their ground for a lot longer than i would have i'll, I'll put it that way <laughs> yeah for real because i would have been fucking out of there he's like loomis is that him and then loomis is like about to say yes but then another one pops up and it's like loomis and it's like they kind of just they seem willing to accept that there's just multiple Michael Myers here for a moment. They like they the were, second were, I see a second were stunned. one, I yeah, I know, I know, but it's just a little like 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 they're ready to shoot every single one of those guys. Maybe they fuck. Maybe it. they should have. Maybe they should have. If, if Charles Bronson would have shot all exactly, of them, I'll tell you that. exactly. But now we're back at the uh, 
the sheriff station. You know, Mika's trying to regroup, but he's got the girls. He's got Loomis. He's got his team. Then he walks into the fucking sheriff station, and the cops are all fucking dead. They all got ran through, fucking straight up murked. And someone was beheaded because we see like a headless corpse. Yeah, and Meeker's like, cool. "Who the? What kind of man does this?" And he's like, "It isn't a man. It's evil." But like, damn, dude. Anytime the cops are all murdered in the sheriff's station, you know shit's about to go the fuck down. And that's when the lynch mob shows also, up. Also, if if I were if I were sheriff of Haddonfield, whether this is an elected position or an appointed position or whatever, I probably would have done a little bit of my homework on the Michael Myers incident. You know, and it had a little bit of a better understanding of what I was dealing with. I guess, technically, he never... I don't think he ever kills anyone in Halloween 2 as brutally as he does here in, in with, like, as many numbers. But then again, Halloween and Halloween 2 were both on the same night. The dude killed a lot of people, you know. So, but but he's, he's still, like... He's, there's still that, like, disbelief factor. Which I get it, it's a movie, but, like... Listen, if you just got this job from, uh... Sheriff Charles Cyphers before I feel like as he's leaving he probably would have like written a note oh by the way Michael Myers if he ever escapes <laughs> get the fuck out of Haddonfield there's nothing you can do you know nothing you could do like just empty out the town and say fuck it and let Halloween go by that's sort of what they kind of do in Halloween 6 when they when they don't celebrate Halloween you're right so the posse shows up when Meeker is leaving the station, and they're like, what the fuck's going on? And Loomis is like, fuck it, Michael Myers is out about killing motherfuckers, and Meeker gets pissed, and Loomis is like, you're gonna need motherfucking those men, you got no fucking sheriff, or deputies, or some shit. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he basically deputizes them. And is this before or after they kill a guy? This is before they, do they kill, kill a guy because they kill a guy before, right okay, after. This. I thought it was after. So the next, okay, the next yeah. thing you know, <laughs> they're driving around. The, the resident Ben Tramer of the film, fucking gunned up, about to blow motherfuckers away, and they see something move in a bush. We never even see what the fuck is in the bush. We just see a bush right. shake, and they fucking unload the clips. Man, they shot this motherfucker so many. There was like a at least fifty <laughs> shots go off, just to be yeah. like, oh shit, it's not, it's not him. He's like you. D- it's Ted Hollister. It's Ted Hollister, who I want to say, you know, R.I.P. Ted Hollister. But if he's hiding in a bush in a public park in the middle of the night, he's up to something. Doing some. He might not be murdering someone, but he's trying to lure some kids or something. Like, there's something sketchy about Ted Hollister. I think he kind of deserved. It. Maybe he's doing like a like a nice cruising gay man late night hookup. Yeah, that's true. Which you know, if, if as long as it's consensual and with people who are if, yeah old enough to consent, I guess I'm okay with it. But yeah, I just hiding around in bushes on a night when all kids are out. It's kind. Of, it's eh, it's, it's kind of sus. You're right. It's a strange thing to be doing, hiding in bushes on Halloween or not Halloween. Hiding in bushes hiding in, in bushes general. in general. There you go. Really, yeah. There we go. Halloween or not, but definitely creepier the more kids are outside i guess so and then we get a shot of one of the deputies that is alive leaving the the house that rachel and her family live in with jamie and he gets in the car and he's like i'm coming to you sheriff i'll meet you at yours and we catch a glimpse of michael in the back seat don't know how this dumb cop doesn't check his back seat i'm a regular ass person yeah. i look in the back seat before i get in the fucking car i've seen urban legend you know what i mean yeah, <laughs> we've covered it this season, yes. Of it's course. a great little flick. I rewatched it very recently with my parents visited Boston. Uh, and All as right. soon as the deputy leaves, Rachel's parents show up. They're freaking out. 
about what the fuck's going on, and then we don't really see them again until much, much later. But now we're at the sheriff's house, and the sheriff's house is basically what Halloween 4 is all about. This is when the shit really goes down. Yeah, I like how dark everything is, because it's just lit by candles and the fire, and, you know, because the electricity's out, but I really like how committed they are to making it look like the power is actually out and having it look genuinely dark. Because a lot of movies, you know, the power goes out and and it'll be dark for a little bit, but then they kind of just do something with the lighting behind the camera to make it a little bit easier to see. I I like the commitment here. I appreciate it. It's it's some atmosphere. I respect it. It was nice. You know, the sheriff shows up. The girl, what the fuck is even her name? Uh, what is that girl's name, dude? Kathleen Kinmont is the actress. She's from uh, Bride of Reanimator. Oh, Kelly. And Kelly, okay. Kelly and Ben. You know, Sheriff catches ben, uh, Brady with his daughter. You know, he doesn't really say anything. Just says, you know how to use a gun. Go upstairs to the attic and, you know, nail some hammers into the windows, some shit. And then a quick toxic masculinity line is, catch you yeah. grabbing my daughter or some shit i'm gonna use it on you i i like that by the way i like the um it, it it goes to show the sheriff isn't oblivious he's not a complete idiot but also like listen we've you know it's, it's very clear we have more important things to deal with right now you <laughs> like, fucking my daughter <laughs> mere minutes ago yeah in my like, own we, house we can talk about this and we can talk about this tomorrow but let's kill this guy first you know so now the big ass house showdown goes down man we got the deputy who goes outside to get his uh, riot gun or something, which is literally just another shotgun, and he notices mm-hmm. the backseat of his car is open. This dumb motherfucker, you know, has a moment of like, hmm, this is strange, and then goes about his business because he's a fucking dickhead. I don't know yeah. what's wrong with him. He's uh, literally the dumbest motherfucker he's, ever. He's, yeah, he's he's horror movie cop, right, you know. He's no, he's, cliche he's, to make he's no stuff, Dewey, but... but so we get a shot of Brady in the attic doing his thing. You know, we got the dumb deputy inside with the gun. He gets a little lazy. He's standing at first. He's sitting down, and Kelly's, you know, making coffee. And Rachel's on the hot, on the radio, you know, trying to, like, make contact with people. And this is when Kelly and Rachel start bitching at each other. It's literally teens just being, you know, cunty, for lack of a better word. Rachel's, you know, calling Kelly a slut. And Kelly's calling Rachel naive. And then Rachel goes, oh, here's your coffee, and she fucking throws it on her. I assume it's hot coffee, cause, but this girl didn't feel anything. She just kind of took it in stride. Maybe she felt like she deserved yeah. it. Uh, but then, you know, mm-hmm. we have uh, Kelly makes that coffee. She goes to give it to the deputy, and she lights a candle, and it reveals that the deputy's fucking dead, shoved into the corner. And then Michael gets up out of the chair. He had been tending to be the deputy. So it's a great kill. He just takes the fucking gun. And jams it through Rachel, lifts her <laughs> off the ground. It's a throwback to the fucking kill in this the kitchen. Is... One of the best kills from Halloween 1. <laughs> Who had stabbed by a shotgun on their bingo card. This might be the best kill this in this movie, movie honestly. It's, but it's so stupid, too, but I love it. It's just like... <laughs> it's so dumb. Why doesn't he just shoot her? He stabs her with a gun. It's amazing. This movie has a lot of off-screen deaths for Michael, which I appreciate. It makes the movie keeps it moving. A lot of off screen. Yeah, deaths. like the like the sheriff, the sheriff's, the police, the police station, station the deputy in the house, the fucking uh, the cafe uh-huh. worker. We only see Michael, you know, do the thumb thing to one person in the 
ambulance transporting him, but there were four people in yeah, that shit. And lost a lot of people that got killed off screen. I, I think it was a good creative choice by the people here. Yeah, and especially as long as what we do see is still delivers. Yes. Like you mentioned, the thumb thing is amazing. Thumb thing is amazing. And this, the stabbing with the shotgun, like a lot of the deaths are still, you know, the, you don't feel cheated. If you have a lot of off-screen deaths and there's not much blood, then you kind of feel cheated. But no, it's, it's, it's the best of both worlds. Maybe nobody knows how to stop it. So now, you know, Rachel and Jamie, they now realize that, you know, there's a motherfucking killer in the house when they find Kelly and the deputy dead. And, you know, Michael shows up. They try to run upstairs. Brady pops out. He says, go upstairs, run. They're like, Brady, come with us. He's like, no, I got this. You know, he fights valiantly, but also terribly, and he gets his ass fucking killed. (laughs) Michael just fucking squishes his fucking head till i assume it explodes but we don't even get to see all that because it does a cut a beautiful cut right in time because i did not want to see that motherfucking kid's brains everywhere nah he kind of deserves it though right i mean it's they weren't official it's like you know they're type of like that (laughs) ross rachel kind of thing we didn't really know where they stood oh god i don't know yeah yeah now they're on the roof they're, they got Michael out here climbing fucking roofs. It seems like they're a lot higher up than they are for some reason. I don't know why. I just felt. I just feel like they were really, really high up. Yeah, is this like a four-story house? That's what it kind of feels like with how high they up they are. Rachel's dangling from the roof, and she's almost like about to fall off. And then she does fall off, but she's all right, man. Not even an ankle sprain. She seems totally fucking fine. She just fell off the roof. For some, to, for me, Michael Myers climbing on a roof will always be funny. This is an old, he's not the youngest bull. <laughs> this guy's out there, you know, keeping his balance and shit. Well, yeah, th- there's no way to look that intimidating when you're walking on that heavily slanted of a roof because you're like, Super you know, he can't do the signature slanted. Michael Myers just slow, determined walk, right? Because he, he can't walk with confidence. He's trying to make sure he doesn't fall over so yeah also um, michael suddenly has a knife on the roof but he had no knife for any of these previous house kills where did he get the knife from was he putting it in his eh, he kept it in, in his, his pocket? pocket he didn't well well he was just in a house he could have grabbed it from the house but he didn't have it when he was killing fucking brady so no, you think he, he put a kni- like a butcher knife in his pocket wouldn't that cut his leg does he not i mean i guess he doesn't feel pain yeah i don't listen i'm not making an excuse <laughs> I'm not excusing it, it's just, it doesn't matter, really, you know. But before Rachel's dumbass fell off the roof, she was able to tie Jamie up to some cord, you know, lower her down somewhere uh, to safety, and that's where Loomis shows up, and he he grabs uh, just Jamie by herself. He's You know, Rachel just fell, she's probably fucking dead, she just fell from, like, seemingly five, six stories tall, because it looks like that. Yeah. And he's like, where would we go that Michael wouldn't know to go? And he chooses the schoolhouse, which I guess is a... No, I, I don't think it's... I don't think it's that he... Is is he trying to avoid Michael? I thought he's trying to lure Michael. I think he's trying to lure Michael, but I don't, I don't think know. he... Re- like, I think he's lying to the girl about... <laughs> okay. Oh, about I see. the purposes what yeah. of what he's trying to do. Because he says <laughs> yeah. that. He's like, we have to go where he won't find us. But then the very next scene is him shooting a gun to open the door of the schoolhouse. And, like, you know, right. Michael has fucking ears. I'm sure he can hear the gun going off. Sure, but, you know, if you're not particularly close, do you know Do you know where the, exactly the shot comes from? 
Um, I assume that Loomis on foot has not ran too far from where the fucking house that he was just at, this old man. But who knows? Well, it all depends how, how quickly Michael got down from the roof. You know, he was struggling a little bit. You know, did he did he just jump down or, or did he have to go back inside and then slowly walk oh, down he the just, stairs? He, like, fucking pops up out of nowhere outside the crib. Or I turned, was one of the moments where I turned my room and said, how the fuck did he get down the stairs so fast? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's fair. And as Loomis is bringing Jamie around the, the schoolhouse, suddenly Michael just pulls up and throws him through a fucking window. But, and then you're like, oh shit, he's got the girl. But then he's also himself gone, just fully disappears for absolutely no reason yet again. Because, you know, we have to have some more time in the movie. Can't have Michael just have sure. access to this girl. But then uh, the pop... <laughs> we, we, we're, we're here for a 90-minute movie. We're not here for a 75 Exactly. Minute. And that's when the posse picks up Rachel, who has returned, and Jamie. And they say, you know, let's get you out of the fuck out of town. And they're leaving town. And they run into some sh- uh, some sh- deputies from some other town and say, hey, he's in the schoolhouse, hurry the fuck up. And they're like, all right, we're going to meet our people down the road around the bend or some shit. And at that moment, we see that Michael has been hiding underneath the truck the whole time because this man is just ridiculously yeah, strong. Cape Fear, Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. Classic. And, like, Yeah. <laughs> But then, you know, he doesn't really... He kills one posse guy, and he tosses two of them off the side of the car. They actually probably get to live, honestly. They might, you know, have some broken bones, but I don't think they would die from what happened to them. We get a sick kill, maybe the second best kill in the movie, when he fucking punches through the glass and grabs the oh, driver yeah. by the throat, and he's ripping this dude's yeah, face open. Yeah, he rips open. his throat open. That shit was nuts. Uh, but, of course, it causes, uh, you know, Rachel gets a hold of the car wheel stops short or hits a tree or some bullshit michael goes flying uh the cops are coming down the road they realize some shit's going down uh rachel's telling jamie stay away from him but jamie you know she just is so curious she has to go and look at her uncle she touches his hand or something like that michael kind of stirs and rachel's screaming you know don't don't get away from him and he does that creepy sit up and the next thing you know, mm-hmm. Meeker and the other deputies from the other town are just fucking unloading the clip into this man. They shoot him hundreds of times. You would think he's an unarmed black man the way that they shot this dude. And yeah. he falls, like, into some ditch creek river thing, like, down, like, a well or something. Like a well, maybe? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they say, you know, he's dead, even though they have no reason to believe that, besides the fact that they shot him so many times, knowing that this is Michael Myers. Yeah, that's that's the thing. If th- If this were the first movie... It it feels more appropriate to say he's dead if this were the first movie, but he literally survived being blown up, which they never really addressed. Yeah, shit's nuts. You know, this guy's, he's got a bit of immortality about him. And then we make our way back to the happy family reunion. Jamie, Rachel, and Rachel's two parents, they're hanging out in the crib. The girls are all traumatized. You know, dad says, you know, go run a bath for... Or mom says, I'm going to run a bath for uh, Jamie. You stay here with Rachel. And, you know, Loomis and the sheriff are chilling in, in the living room because why would they go watch this little girl take a bath? Maybe Ted Hollister would. We hear, we see what appears to be uh, someone in the Michael Myers POV shot grab a, a scissors and head into the bathroom where the mom is. The mom screams and Loomis is, you know, going to the stairs and he sees Jamie in the clown outfit, fucking blood all over her fucking hands and, like, 
in her face and shit with the knife. I mean, not the knife, it's scissors. The scissors, holding the scissors and Loomis, over her head. like, yeah. starts screaming, oh, he tries to fucking pull the gun out and hit, hit her with the blicky. And then Meeker stops him and is like, what the fuck? But then he looks up and he's also like, holy shit, this girl's got a fucking bloody scissors. And he pulls the gun up, but nobody fires. <laughs> nobody kills her. But it seems as if the cycle has gone on. Michael's fucked up demented mind has transferred to his niece. And she is now also a motherfucking killer. And the movie ends. And it's great. All right, let's talk about this ending. So, this ending is a little weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. And 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 it's it's not just weird because they completely ignore it in Halloween Five, but it, it's it. This is a weird way to end the movie. Are they trying to do like? Is it like a because she touches him towards the end of the movie? Did did is it something as literal as like his soul or his evil soul transfers into her, or is she? you know, just so traumatized by the events of the night that she does this? Like, what exactly is going on? I think think she just has a weird connection. Like, she had the visions of him and shit. Yeah, that's true. The yeah, the vision's worth pointing. And then out in the next movie, like she and, and she feels like some strange connection in the next movie, I believe. Yeah, that's actually one thing that they do in Halloween Five. It, it, they do it in a different way, but she does have this like psychic connection, psychic link with him. Yeah, and it's it, it's a uh, Halloween Five man. I'm gonna rewatch that shit too. That one's. Uh, I'm I'm not, I'm not going to until I have to. That one has the hot girl Tina. Oh, is she the blonde chick who gets? She's not blonde. She's very dark haired. Okay, there's a there's a there's a hot blonde girl in that who dresses up as like the devil for. She's Halloween. the one whose boyfriend. Oh, Tina's the annoying one. She's right? sexy though. She, I don't remember her being that. Maybe she is, but I just remember her being annoying. <laughs> yeah. So, Josh, what did you think of Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers? Halloween Four is a solid four out of five star letterbox review movie. I think it's got some <laughs> care to elaborate. It's got some very fucking cool kills. It doesn't harp too sure. much on the goriness. It is scary. Yeah. It moves very quickly. We're moving very fast. Yeah. It's got a lot of uh not too many characters. It keeps things very simple. I appreciate the fucking strange posse. The posse that comes back <laughs> in the new ha- yeah. in the new ha- in Halloween kills. We get another posse. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love that they bring that back. I love Jamie, the child actress. She does very, very well. Danielle Harris is awesome, yeah. The house scene is just an all-timer in the Halloween franchise. It's just great stuff. Not a lot happens. Honestly, only three people die in the house, but somehow it just right, feels so timeless. Right, but I, I, like how, so I like how the movie takes its time throughout all that. I mentioned the lighting earlier, but I like... The movie slows down. Yes. But it still manages to be creepy in those scenes. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I just like this movie. I, I, I still have fond memories of it. I mean, as a kid, I thought it was perfect. It's clearly not. But it is very, very good. And it's definitely okay. worthy of the name Halloween, unlike Halloween 3, which should have just been some okay. other shit. Yeah, just call it Season of the Witch. There you go. Halloween Boom. 3, Season of the Witch. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I am not as high on Halloween 4 as you are. However, I do enjoy it. I think the movie has a lot of problems 
but it but it does a lot of things right. I think I slightly prefer this to Halloween too. I wasn't I, I wasn't a big fan of Halloween too. Obviously, you are, but like it still manages to have some atmosphere. I think it mixes the atmosphere and the gore or the shock pretty well, pretty well, not not perfectly. And, you know, it's still great. Donald Pleasance is still giving a real performance. He's not quite completely crazy like he is in Halloween 5, which that's fun to watch on a different level. And then I really think that I think the biggest strengths of this movie are Danielle Harris as Jamie and um, Ellie Cornell as Rachel. I think they're both really, really good. Good ass tandem. I've never seen Ellie Cornell in anything other than Halloween 4 or 5. I've seen Danielle Harris in a bunch of movies, obviously, as an adult. Uh, she's an urban legend. You mentioned that movie earlier. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, the, you know, they're worthy successors to Jamie Lee Curtis, you know. I'm not saying they're as good, but I'm, I'll say that they're better than Jamie Lee Curtis is in Halloween 2. I don't think that's too much of a hot take. She's like drugged up the whole looks, time. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. She's not really acting much in that movie, but yeah, they're good. Um, I agree with you. Not too many characters. They keep the they keep the teen cast really small. There's Brady. There's his friend, and there's obviously Rachel, and then there's Kelly. That's it. I like that they don't keep that group too much. Uh, you know, expand that group too much. Have too many characters. Halloween Five probably has a few too many teens. Um, it, yeah, it's good. I think it's, I think it's a solid slasher movie. It's it's not fantastic. It's not groundbreaking, but it's it's a solid movie and it's a good, you know, respectable sequel for a series that, in my opinion, does not have very many respectable sequels. So yeah, I will accept that assessment. Okay, watch this movie if you are thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's on. I think it's been on Shutter for like several years in a row, so I doubt it's getting taken off anytime soon. So check it out. Oh yeah, and it's also on AMC every Halloween, like four hundred times in that month. So <laughs> you'll see a slight, you know, a TV edit's going to be a little bit different, but you know, it's you get the same gist, just a little bit less bloody on the the thumb into the forehead kill and stuff like that. Enjoy a typical afternoon in New York City. Who is that? Grocery's man. <laughs> all right, Death Wish, the movie that started it all, when, it, when at least when it comes to Death Wish movies. Starring Charles Bronson, directed by Michael Winner, who directed, I don't know if he did the entirety of the Death Wish series, I know he did a number of them, but this is a film released in 1974. If you know anything about New York City, and Josh, you, well, you weren't living here at the time because you weren't born yet, but New York City was an utter shithole in the 1970s and into the 80s a little bit, right? You see that depicted in a lot of movies, in a lot of, like, you know, the the Bronx was literally on fire in, in the summer of 1977, right? And Or is it 76? I can't remember. But then you had The Son of Sam. So, like, New York, it had a lot of problems. The, you know, the um, subways covered in graffiti, Times Square littered with porno theaters and peep shows, 
all that stuff. I mean, what's 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 wrong with what's wrong with porno theaters and peep shows? I was going to say, I listen. Times Square needs to go back to the way it used to be because yeah. I will take porno theaters and peep shows over people dressed up as Spider-Man trying to get autographs. You know, like I just, <laughs> it could be. We we need New York need needs its own red light district like it used to have, I guess. But yeah, this is a movie that very much plays off of the reputation of New York City. The trailer identifies New York City, whether this is true or not, as the most violent city in the world or something like that. Eh, it might have been true. This is Paul Kersey. This is the story of a man who decided to clean up the most violent town in the world. Whether intentional or not, this is kind of a white flight movie. Oh, you know what 100%. I mean? Uh, I think it's yeah. extremely intentional. <laughs> You th- well, okay, yeah, and that's the thing. And, and we, when they start off, we got the we got Paul and Joanne or Paul Joanna, Kersey. whatever the fuck it is. She's she ain't lasting long enough for us to really care what her name is. They're on a beautiful vacation, you know, somewhere in Hawaii, I believe, Honolulu, and they're you know they're away from this fucking city. You know, they're talking about trying to fucking public, and they say they're they're too <laughs> civilized to do it. And then they're back in New York, and we're dealing with the shithole. And the fir- this yeah. motherfucker goes back to work, and the first thing the dude asks him is like, "Did you, you know, we got 15 deaths two weeks ago, and then 21 deaths last week?" Like, yeah. And you're the first thing he gets there, and he's Paul's brushing it off, you know, he's talking about you know decent people and all this shit. And his his coworkers like, "You're a bleeding heart liberal, you know, stick stick these people in concentration camps, like real fucked up shit." Yeah, this movie is very political, but I, I, the reason I'd say the the white flight thing may or may not be intentional is that, I agree to a certain extent it seems to be intentional, but also like the the criminal element isn't really presented as being non-white. You know what I mean? Like it's um, I know they have a line at one point where someone says like, "Oh, I'll tell you one thing: the 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 um vigilantes are racist because he's." He, doesn't kill anybody but black men but mugger like, race yeah, more black- equality yeah there's stuff like that but like you know one of the one of the one of the creepos is jeff goldblum jeff fucking goldblum man looking junkied out yeah. big eyes and yeah kind of reminds me of denzel in uh jungle fever not denzel not sam jackson sam jackson sam jackson okay also in coming to america also in similar. coming to america <laughs> similar look to that very similar um, look like the junkie kind of thief look so it's kind of neat to see Goldblum in that. He's wearing his little jughead hat, whatever you call that thing. But also one of the the, the train muggers is character actor Saul Rubinek, which is, you know, like Goldblum, this is also probably one of his first roles. But, like, he's, like, the last person in the world I would cast as, like, a threatening, intimidating mugger. Look up Saul Rubinek. He's, a, he's in a bunch of movies. You've seen him in stuff. He's in, it's that Coen Brothers Western that isn't True Grit. He's in that. He's in um, about a season of Frasier or so because he's Daphne's fiance. He's in Unforgiven, which is probably what I know him best for. But yeah, he's one of the train muggers. He's awesome. This is Saul's second movie in his filmography. Okay. And this is Jeff's first movie in his filmography. I was going to say, I I thought it was his first. Yes. Because I know Goldblum, this was actually, this was after Death Wish, but Goldblum has a very, very, very small role in Annie Hall where he has like one line is like in the background almost and it's like okay you would think that was his first movie but no he's a rapist in death wish so anyways 
I think Death Wish is one of those movies that even if you haven't seen the movie, you kind of know what it is, right? Man's wife gets killed, and he goes on revenge, right? So Yeah, so the daughter and uh, the mom are shopping at the nearby D'Augustino's yes. grocery store, and Jeff Goldblum and his squad of freaks spot their... Yeah, they're credited as freaks. They, they <laughs> spot their address and uh, sneak into their crib and through the back and knock on the door. The daughter looks, says groceries, doesn't see any groceries, opens the door anyway. They go in, they find absolutely no money, I think about five, six bucks, which pisses them off. Yeah. They beat the shit out of the mom. They orally fucking rape the daughter. Rape the daughter. And then the yeah. mom starts like crawling over to call the cops and they give her one last kick or some shit. And then like, she goes, she's knocked out. The daughter makes her way to the phone. And then we're, you know, the son in law is calling Paul at work and saying something happened to our, my wife, mm-hmm. your wife. They go to the hospital. The daughter has been sedated. She's going to be okay. Unfortunately for you, your fucking wife's dead. And Yeah. My name is Paul Kersey. How's my wife? I'm sorry. She died a few minutes ago, Mr. Kersey. Well, and the daughter's also not... I mean, she's okay in so much as that she lives, but she... Does she say anything after this? I mean, she screams at one point when, when her husband touches her, but, I mean, she's gone. She's PTSD, severe, you know. She's essentially not the same person anymore and i think really you know because when paul kersey when he eventually he doesn't really snap this isn't like a falling down thing he 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 doesn't snap he it's 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 kind of a slow build to him seeking revenge and of course revenge might not even be the right word because he doesn't technically ever find the people that did it he just starts kind of killing muggers, killing criminals, really. It's, it's it's more, it's vigilante, it's less revenge. He has this kind of slow thing, and it's it's brought out a lot in, when he goes to Arizona. Yeah, so he, he goes uh, on a work trip. He's an architect. He, he, go, he goes to Arizona with his colleague, who's this, like, good old boy, kind of southern, he's a southwestern kind of guy, who's like, who's like, hey, uh, let me take you to a gun club, you'd enjoy this. And that's when we get some backstory on, on Paul Kersey. We find that he was in the war, but he was a conscientious objector. But we also see that he's an incredibly good shot at this gun range. And it's like, oh, how can that be? What's, what's the deal? If you're a conscientious, conscientious objector, how can you fire a gun so well? And there's a nice little backstory where he, he says his father was a hunter. And his father was killed in a hunting accident. And then after that... You know, his mom always hated hunting and guns and stuff, and so he kind of just decided to kind of live like his mom, you know, after that event. And it's like, okay, that's that's really neat. So it's good that we establish that he's capable with a gun. He knows what he's doing, but he's also just never wanted to fire a gun before. I, I, I like that character stuff, and I like, you know, I think Charles Bronson here, I think I think this movie is, is hurt a little bit by... Uh, Charles Bronson's kind of um, his reputation preceding him, I guess. Call him a mad vigilante. Call him a hero. Either way, he's always on target. Because you look at Charles Bronson and you go, that guy's a bad motherfucker. Like, he looks like a guy that is just going to shoot people, right? And I think that kind of, you know, it's there's nuance to his performance that I think 
it's difficult to appreciate just because, especially if you've seen, you know, any Charles Bronson movie that he made after this, you know, where he's running around with guns or maybe not running, jogging around with guns and shooting people. And, you know, Death Wish 3, he's got like a, like a huge gun that they would have hanging out of a helicopter. And it's like, I've seen this guy shoot guns more than just about any actor. But yeah, I, I do think he has a, a pretty good performance. He He does the he doesn't play it like a crazy person. He doesn't play it as a guy who just wants to kill people. He plays it like a guy who's just really, really sad. And he's trying to move on with his life. But And he sees that his daughter can't and his son-in-law can't. And uh, I don't know. I like the performance. Yeah, his daughter, while he's away in Arizona, you know, making it, becoming cool with this guy who later gifts him a gun. On his way back yes. to New York, his daughter <laughs> has now been back. She, she's back in the hospital. She's been diagnosed with she's, she's got catonia. She's either dementia. She's basically just becoming a vegetable. And uh, Paul's pissed yeah. off. He's telling his son-in-law Jack, you know, you didn't handle her right. Jack's getting defensive, which you know it happens. You know, there's no one to real blame. Yeah, there is. There is like a um, the system failed her kind of message, but it's not. I don't think they carry it out so that the police failed her but it's it's more just like the people around her have kind of failed her you know like the and there's not much about this but there's a little bit about like he doesn't like the doctors that yeah he's that like what kind of goddamn doctors did you get yeah exactly uh so it, it's weird because i think this is kind of a pro-vigilante movie in a lot of ways not i mean i think halloween 4 is a bit of a pro-vigilante movie come to think of it but i don't think it's really an anti-cop movie there's some police corruption, obviously, but the cops aren't the villains. I think it's kind of just identifying that life sucks. I, I don't, you know, I think it's kind of just, I don't think there's too many specific critiques about like how to make it better. I think it's just like, oh man, this kind of sucks and this sucks too. And then and add it all up and you get this thing that sucks. And yeah, it's just like a miserable miserable nightmare 1974 new york is you know it's it's great i, I love that aspect of the movie <laughs> yeah it's extremely new york i see the money man now i gotta ask your father was a new york city police police officer with now i i don't know how old he is he probably wasn't a police officer in 1974 yet was he no i want to know what he would have done if he was confronted with the Paul Kersey situation. If he's if if Charles Bronson's in his neighborhood killing muggers, what are you gonna do? Cause Vincent Gardini is not sure what he's gonna do. You know, he's he's the police officer in charge of the thing, or he's the um the no, he's not the commissioner, he's the lieutenant, I he's think. He's a lieutenant detective. Rank. Yeah. I don't fucking know what my dad would do, man. I would like to think he would do... Listen, we don't need to put him on the spot. Yeah, but... <laughs> I fucking don't know. <laughs> it's a lot of fucking pressure on that guy, though. Oh, absolutely. And and I do like that that's... I One thing I like about the uh, lieutenant character is that it's ultimately shown that this isn't really... The situation isn't in his control. He wants to arrest the the vigilante. At this point, they don't know it's Paul Kersey yet. He wants to arrest the guy. But the people above him, the police commissioner, the mayor, whoever, you know, they're like, well, hang on, muggings are actually going down. This isn't a bad thing. Mugging has gone down by how much, sir? 
$9.50 a week to $4.70, you reported last week. You understand not too many people know that. And uh, you want to keep it that way, huh? Oh, no, we have to keep it that way, Inspector. This whole city would explode. I like when they, um, when they cut to the news, and it's that one lady talking about how she fought back against a mugger. The hairpin. And, and so you see that... It, yeah, yeah, and then and then that one like construction worker guy who's talking about yeah we fucking we saw a mugging and we we beat his ass and they're they're like oh yeah. he like broke three arms he broke his arms and hurt his ankle it's and like, like oh he must have fallen over yeah hilarious shit dude <laughs> yeah that is that is pretty funny but yeah the um it has like this aren't there some superhero movies like this where it's kind of like you cut to like I, I I'm thinking of like the Sam Raimi Spider Man like maybe not. Yes, Spider-Man, kick-ass. People are acting like Spider-Man, but but you cut to like just the news, and it's like these regular New Yorkers are just talking about like, oh, this Spider-Man guy is great, and then someone's like, ah, I don't like him or whatever. You know, it kind of feels feels a bit like that. You know, I don't know. I just I just kind of like that. It's it's uh, it's a little humorous and maybe unintentionally humorous in some ways, but it's fun, and I like how. Um, you know, Paul Kersey, he's, he's like following all the stuff on the news. He keeps some newspapers and stuff about his exploits. Obviously, he's not named in the news or the newspapers, but eventually they kind of narrow it down. So, so the police are searching for people in a particular neighborhood because they have noticed that grocery shopping has had something to do with who gets killed, right? Because yes, and then they're like, okay. People don't grocery shop like far from where they live, so it's got to be in this, got to be in this area. Yes, it's like uh, people who have lost family members to yes, Robert, like murders or something. They're also the looking for for veterans of three World months. War II, Korea, or Vietnam. But in reverse order, start with Vietnam, go to Korea, then World well, War II. Yeah, yes, but, yes. Okay, excuse me, I was just listing wars. I'm it's sorry. It's okay. I, I just want I just want the people to know chronological. The, the people must know the accuracy of the statement. He begins where all the super cops leave off. And then eventually they, they kind of stumble upon Kersey as a suspect. And Vincent Gardenia, the lieutenant, actually breaks into his place. I think he finds the, uh, like the clippings and shit. I like that scene in the subway where those two guys run into him and they're like, hey, you got a you gotta light. And then he gets out his matches and is like, hey, what else do you have? And they pull out their knives. First of all, there are a few things cooler than seeing a switchblade retract like that. Or it's not retract. No, is it retract when, when, when the blade goes out? I don't Whatever that is. There, there are a few things cooler than that like old school, like 70s style switchblade just going like a close-up of that is just like the coolest thing in the world to me but then those guys like corner him and then he immediately shoots him one gets away and he gets he gets out of the subway station right when police are harassing like a prostitute or something and then they then they see what's going on so they follow they go back down they try and chase kersey but he gets on the subway train they don't know who did it so eventually the lieutenant's given instructions that if he catches, because at this point they know it's Paul Kersey, and it's like, if you catch him, don't arrest him, but just, like, make sure he doesn't do this again. Scare him so off. He, yeah, scare him off. So so what he does, actually, is he calls Paul Kersey and just tells him that he's being monitored by the police. 
that's when they break into the crib. Uh, he gets away. He's out on the run in the night. He gets into an altercation with some muggers. He shoots one. Yeah, one what, of them shoots what, him. What what park is that, by the way? The um, Do you know? I think it's like the park on the west side. Like the Riverside Park. Okay. Because he's on the Upper West Side. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not Central Park, and especially because it's like... No, Riverside Park. like some tower or something. But yeah, anyways, he's going down these big stairs, yep. and he's confronted by three muggers, two at the bottom with knives, one at the top with a gun, and he pulls a gun and shoots the two guys on the bottom, shoots up at the guy with the gun, but doesn't hit him, but then he runs into the woods, and he eventually... The guy with the gun comes back down, and, and they they both shoot each other. They, they're both shot, but the guy runs away into, like, this industrial area, I guess. Mm-hmm. I was going to say abandoned, but it's not abandoned. It's just 10 p.m. at night, right, you know? And Paul Kersey follows him, but then he collapses, and at this point, the police arrive, and this is... The, the first officer on the scene gets the attention of the lieutenant, he tells him what was up. He said he found, he gives him the gun, right? Yep. He's like, I found this. And he's like, did you put it in the report? And he said, I wanted to show you first. Yes. And he's like, get rid of it or you never yeah, saw so it or even, some even, shit. Even, even, this, even this rookie cop knows that he's probably expected to lie on this police report, right? This is the, They're teaching these kids, right, in the NYPD. But um, <laughs> he's so, so they, they, they wait for they wait for the lieutenant to basically figure out what's going on, but they have Kersey in the hospital. The press obviously thinks that, Oh, you finally got the vigilante. So the lieutenant goes in there and talks to him. He gives him his gun or rather he only gives him his gun. If he promises to leave New York city and he's like, you got to leave as soon as possible. We will not prosecute. We obviously know you're the vigilante. That's great. Good for you. Just, don't do it here, you know. So he leaves. Takes a job. Yeah, he tra- leaves. Takes a job, uh, transfer or an assignment or something to the Chicago. Yeah, he office. goes to Chicago. Yep. And the second he arrives in Chicago, this is great. This is a fantastic closing scene. But the second he arrives in Chicago, he sees a woman being harassed by a couple of young street thugs, and then when he goes to help her, help her with her bags. He looks back at those guys who are like laughing, and then he just does a little, little, little finger guns. He just points his fingers and just kind of pretends to shoot them, and that's how the movie ends. Because you know damn well he's going to continue his killing spree and kill those motherfuckers the first chance he gets. Got to Except, got to be done. In Death Wish Two, I want to say it doesn't take place in Chicago, so I think he moves at some point before he kills the next person. It's but, L.A. Yeah, anyways. Is it L.A.? Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, it's cheaper to film there. Never make a death wish. Because a death wish always comes true. And you get to love it. So, Josh, what do you think, uh, what did you think of Death Wish? Death Wish was solid. Another four out of five on Letterboxd. Another 90-minute movie that this one kind of seemed like at some point it was meandering a little bit. It's a slower movie. And that's just the nature of the 70s action movies. They tend to be very slow by today's standards. Extremely slow. You know, I felt like Liam Neeson... But there's character development, you know? There is character development. We really see, like, fucking Paul 
really struggling and figuring out what's good. And when he's going out in the streets, he's getting better each time and more confident in his fucking kills. Mm-hmm. You really see the, the, the power behind him growing. But it's well, good. Before like, he even gets the gun, he starts with like a sock full of sock $20, worth $20 worth of quarters. $20 worth of quarters, man. He smacks <laughs> that motherfucker and then he runs into yeah. his crib and he starts drinking. He's got the adrenaline going. It's a good movie. I liked it a lot. I'm actually going to dive into probably the next few, honestly. The Death Wish series, you know, just before I talk about the first Death Wish movie, but I guess I'll cover the first one here. The Death Wish, the original Death Wish, is a fine movie. It's not a great movie. It it definitely has its issues. Its politics are kind of fucked. Like it's uh it's kind of a bit of a pro-vigilante movie. Again, I think Halloween 4 is kind of a pro-vigilante movie too, but it's just like, it's not my favorite message in a movie. And I, and I think from what I've read in like reviews of this film, and I think reviews, you know, in 1974, this was based on a novel. Supposedly the novel was much more anti-vigilante than the film is. So, you know, I, I, I haven't read the novel, so I can't verify that exactly. But you know, I, I don't really love the some of the message, but at the same time, I, I do think there's a lot of humanity in the character of Paul Kersey because of Bronson, and all that to, all, all that's to say is that that's all gone in like all of the sequels. The um, Death Wish three is just the most violent movie ever made, where he's just shooting up a bunch of people in the in a couple of uh, square blocks of the Bronx, and it's like the most amazing movie you've ever seen. Death Wish two, I th- probably a little bit closer to this one and then i know there's a death wish four and five i think the series went as far as like into the 90s and i don't remember anything about those i just know it gets funnier and funnier when charles bronson's gets older and older because he's just this old guy going around chasing people with with guns and stuff and there's just something kind of funny in that so i will say like i enjoy the death wish series as a whole there's no doubt in my mind that the first one is the best movie. It's probably not my favorite just to sit down and watch because it is slow. It is meandering. Like you said, it's a little boring. But the movie has some, you know, it packs a punch, though, too. I do think there's that emotional core of, you know, Bronson's performance, but then also just seeing the daughter, you know, seeing seeing her just in in her state and everything. And unfortunately, the son-in-law sucks. Whatever actor that is, he sucks. Thought he was terrible, but Jack was awful. Yeah, so I mean, I I like Death Wish. I don't love it. I do, there is just something wildly appealing to me about. Oh, he's from the he's from the Bronx. The actor is okay. Yeah, uh, just like Jennifer Lopez. Just like Jennifer Lopez, he died very <laughs> he died very young. Uh, just like Selena. Yep. Jennifer Lopez started her career playing, of course. But yeah, so uh, there is something at the end of the day just incredibly appealing to me about gritty 70s action. You're comparing it to action movies of today or even action movies of like the 80s. Let's take Die Hard or Aliens. Or, you know, a lot more boring. The action isn't as fantastic. There's not as many big special effects. There's not as many awesome stunts. But there's just something about that grittiness, whether it's like some of the black exploitation movies or Dirty Harry is one of my favorite movies ever. Just like that slow moving 70s, like tough guy action thriller. I just I love that genre. And Death Wish is not my favorite in that genre. I think I probably prefer Shaft. I definitely prefer Dirty Harry. 
I prefer across 110th Street. But it's it's a good example of that. It's a seminal action film, maybe more so than it is a classic action film. But I do like it. Good, you should. <laughs> so how how do you feel about your? Well, you don't live there anymore, but your original hometown's representation. I mean, that's what it was. Death Wish. I understand. <laughs> yeah, in the seventies. Yeah, that's what it was. I know for a fact. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna love Death Wish three because that's that's the Bronx too. They're pretending that's what it's like again, but it's not. Yes. Yeah. That's that's a good point. The, the way people talk about crime, it's like it's that, and it's just it's not. It's it's nothing like that. But but just can we get Times Square to what it used to be? That's all I want. <laughs> I want those movie theaters showing kung fu movies all the time. There's a great there's a great era for New York City, a great era for Times Square. The Knicks were good the last time in history, or I guess they were good in the nineties, but you know. There's some there's some great moments in New York in the nineteen seventies, but very few of them <laughs> Involved criminal justice, I guess. Almost none. So, Josh, which of these two movies, Halloween 4 or Death Wish, do you prefer? Halloween 4. That was a, that was a, that was a quick response and not an unsurprising one, but explain. Uh, I fucking love slasher films, honestly. All right. <laughs> That's another so sl- slashers for you are maybe what the 70s gritty cop action dramas are for me, maybe. I don't know. Well, because I love slasher movies too, but I prefer Death Wish. Why is that? I just think it's a better movie. I think Halloween 4 is a more casual watch. You know, Death Wish demands my attention more easily than Halloween 4 does. It grabs my attention more easily, I should say. And Halloween 4 is a perfectly acceptable film. Death Wish, I'm not I'm not saying I'm coming away with a different understanding of life watching death wish but i do feel like there's a bit more to it just uh it's more cinematic characters what's that it's more cinematic it's... i maybe maybe a little bit but i, I don't think cinema i don't think halloween 4 lacks for cinematic you know it, it's a good looking movie and everything so it, it's, that's that's not a i guess i agree with you but i'm just saying that's not a knock against halloween 4 but yeah i just i just like death wish a little bit more um, I've seen Halloween four more times. I think this is just the second or third time I've seen Death Wish, but you know, it's it's a movie that I'll definitely watch again. Hell yeah, and I will too probably. So, how do you think this works as a drive-in double feature? I think it works great. Three hours of your life, nice way to kill an afternoon or kill a night. I I agree that it works well, and I do love the. The vigilante justice with the with the little lynch mob in Halloween Four, and then with Paul Kersey, of course. But I would actually reverse the order because I think because I mentioned Halloween Four is a more casual watch. I like the more casual watch coming second. I guess I'm picturing you watching these movies at night, right? You mentioned the afternoon, but I'm picturing these at night, and maybe you're a little tired for the second one. Maybe you miss some of it. You you nod off for a bit. You know, you can nod off for a bit in Halloween 4 and still have and still know what's going on. Death Wish, there's like some plot in there. There's some character stuff. And, you know, you don't want to fall asleep for five minutes and miss the backstory about Paul Kersey's hunter dad and stuff. You can fall asleep for five minutes and miss a couple of 
Donald Pleasant's monologues and you and you still know what you're watching because it's the same thing as the first two Halloweens, basically, you know? So that's my reasoning. But I do think I I love the length for both of them. You know, good, you know, three hours together. This is shorter than a Lord of the Rings film, basically. So that's that's a plus. That's a big fucking time plus. Fuck. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a big plus. Yeah, I, 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 I like it as a double feature, but I would reverse the order. Highly recommend. Well, Josh, thank you very much for joining me. No, thank you for having me, man. Whenever you want, whenever you need, I'm there. Absolutely. And listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Drive-In for early access to episodes, as well as exclusive commentary tracks by myself and Jim, and extended cuts, longer versions of episodes. Here's what we're doing next week. Next week, Jim returns, and we will be discussing Conan the Barbarian, starring the great Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Valley of the Dolls from 1967. So be sure to tune in next week. Until then, have a pleasant evening. Go watch Death Wish, Halloween 4, Death Wish 3, Halloween 3. Maybe not Halloween 3 if you're Josh, but go watch something. Later, folks.